Well, we're starting our new series uh, this week called Address This Mess. And um, have you noticed that the only thing that kind of is constant in our world is change? Things are always changing. For instance, I was looking up some words and there are different meanings. Words have different meanings today than they did maybe uh, 50, 100, sometimes a couple hundred years ago. For example, the word nice used to mean silly, foolish, or simple. Now, I text this all the time. Somebody will say, hey, this happened. I'll go, nice. Next time I text it, I want you to think, is he saying I'm silly? Is he saying I'm foolish? Because you don't know. Maybe he's saying I'm simple. You don't know. Now, the word silly, it changed. Um, It used to refer to things worthy or blessed. So I may send silly. That's silly. And you may think, is he saying I'm blessed or is he saying that I'm foolish? I don't know. You you, you don't know. Y'all don't think that's very funny. Thanks. I got I got to work on that between now and the next service. Um, the, the the next word, okay, this word. Um, do not use this word. Do not text it. Winch. Now, hang on. It used to mean it is it, actually shortened from the word winchel, which is W E N C H E L, which meant children, either boys or girls. And then it was shortened to mean a female child. And then it was short. Then it was changed to mean a female slave. And then later it was changed to mean wanton women. So we're not going to use that word. No, no texting. Nothing. There's another word. I thought this one was interesting. And, and this was clue. Now, hundreds of years ago, it was actually spelled C L E W. And it meant a ball of yarn. If you think about stringing a ball of yarn through a maze, then you get the idea of how we string together clues to come up with, um, the, the who did what, you know, the whodunits or the, uh, figuring out who committed a crime or who did whatever. That's the idea there. The word naughty used to mean you had not, or you had nothing. I remember when our church was naughty by this definition, not by the other one, because uh, now it means immoral or it means behaving badly. And I guess it means you, you don't have any morals or, or anything like that. Now, the reason I bring all of this up is because of this next phrase, which is totally different than it used to be a couple hundred years ago. Hot mess. Y'all heard that term? Now, who knows what this referred to in the 19th century whenever someone said hot mess? Anybody know? What'd you say, Miss Yvonne? Food. Yes, ma'am. It was a military term and it referred to the mess tent or the mess hall. Hot mess meant that it was hot. It was ready. Now, in the 20th century, it still had a military uh, connotation to it, and they would talk about a firefight. If you got into something that was much worse than you thought it was, they would say you're in a hot mess. And so I want everybody to price that. They got themselves into a hot mess. Now, in the 21st century, that's not what it means. Here's what it means in the 21st century. An attractive disaster. Have y'all heard this? Okay, I've seen this, and, and it seems like this is this is what people aspire to. So, okay, I looked it up in the Urban Dictionary. I think it's kind of funny that we have to have an Urban Dictionary now that's different from the other dictionary to explain what, what's going on in, in street terms. But here it is. A person's appearance is in a state of total disarray, total disarray, while still maintaining an undeniable attractiveness and allure. Now, here's my favorite sentence about this. No one set of guidelines can perpetually determine what distinguishes, don't, don't change this yet, what distinguishes a hot mess from an above average train wreck. I would like for us to start saying that, man, you're an above average train wreck. Not hot mess. I think that would be a lot more fun. That'd get a lot more interesting comments. Now, the last line, go ahead next to it. Regardless of circumstances. Okay, so it doesn't matter. There's no set of 
Miracles, regardless of circumstances, you know it when you see it because they are typically conspicuous. Everybody knows they're a mess, but they are always obviously awesome. And people aspire to this. Hashtag goals. People want to be a hot mess. I don't know if you've seen blogs. I've read this stuff. People want to be a hot mess. We have TV shows about hot messes, and I just don't understand. And so what we do is a hot mess is a person whose life is in disarray, but they look better than their circumstances should allow, right? So you get dressed up, you clean yourself up, you get dressed up, you put on a smile, and most of the time, that's how we go to church, right? We pretend we're not a mess, and I think that's why a lot of people don't like church, is because everybody seems to be happier than them. Okay, I'm going to let you in on a little secret today. Everyone here is a hot mess. Some are hotter, some are messier. Church in town is filled with people who are hot messes. Um, everybody has a mess somewhere in their life. So some people have financial messes. Some people, their family are messes. If you look in the mirror, sometimes you go, I'm a mess and there's no wardrobe that's going to fix this, right? Some of you think of that. Some of you don't. You will. Janie used to, this was one of the things that made me laugh and it still makes me laugh. Janie used to get dressed up in college on days she had tests. I mean, like she's going out on the town, like she's going on a date. And I asked her why. She fixed her hair, fixed her makeup, nice clothes. She looked sharp when she would go take a test. And I said, why? And she said, because then if I don't do well on the test, at least I look good. She has taught, yeah, amen. She's taught our daughters to do the same thing. Rachel called a while back and, and, uh, and she said, I don't know how I did on a test. I said, well, did you look good? And she goes, oh, yes, sir. I look good. So anyway, some of you look good, but you have a GPA mess. Some of you married a mess and you were warned. His last three girlfriends and six cousins took you out for coffee and said, girlfriend, run for the hills, save yourself. And you looked at him, and you were kind of puzzled, and you said, I can fix him. You fix a dog, you don't fix a spouse. Those are words to live by. You can write that down. Some of you married into a mess. She didn't want you to meet her family until it was too late. Now, there, Janie and I have been married 26 years this May, and there's a segment of her family I've never met. And she said, you never will. You don't need to meet them. She wouldn't let me. Be, I, I'm just saying, sometimes you, you marry into a mess and you don't even know. Some of you moved in with a mess. Some of you are being parented by not one, but two messes. And don't raise your hands if that's your parent. And some of you are parenting a mess. Again, don't raise your hands. Now, if you're really, really, and I, first I put in here lucky, and then I went back in after I studied through this, I put blessed. We don't believe in luck if we're Christ followers. We believe God blesses us. If you're really, really blessed today, you're in between messes, right? Your life is kind of relatively drama-free, but I don't want to rain on your parade today, but you are one bad decision away from being in your next mess. And the scary thing is, you don't even have to make that decision. Someone in your world can make a bad decision and you'll be in your next mess. Now, can we all agree today that life is messy? Anybody, anybody disagree? You want to, okay, we all agree life is messy. Sometimes we create the mess, sometimes we inherit the mess, and sometimes we just wake up and we're in our next mess. Now, I've got good news for you today, all right? There is always someone whose life is a bigger mess than yours. That ought to make you feel good about yourself. And really, that's not the good news. I'm just messing with you. We're not comparing to each other. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. It's not just you. 
Now, this is good news. It's not just your marriage. It's not just your family. It's not just your GPA. There are all kinds of messes all over the place. And one of my favorite movies is, is The Princess Bride and where the religious guy, you know, he's got the big hat, the bishop hat on. And he goes, marriage is what brings us together today. It's one of my favorite lines in the whole movie. I have to disagree with that bishop or whatever religious guy is because I believe mess is what brings us together today. We all are messes, and that's what brings us together today. You see, we are really good at seeing messes. We see them unfold all the time, and it's easier to see other people's messes than it is to see our own messes. So you can look at somebody walking down the road, or you can look at somebody living their life, and you can think, if you continue to talk to your spouse that way, mess is where you're going, right? Or if you continue to ignore your children, mess is what's going to happen. Or if you um, don't break up or if you are, uh, whatever it is, if you treat your friends like that, if you continue to, you are going to wake up one day in the middle of a big fat mess. Now, just remember someone is always looking at your life too, because you're a mess as well. Now, if we're all messes, what that means is we should be students and not critics. A student is a learner. A critic's got it all, got it all figured out. Because have you, ever, have you ever noticed that when you hear someone's story, it changes how you look at them? And I just, uh, this is all through our church. Um, uh, Timmy and Tina, I remember the first time they came to our small group at our house. And, and Tina started sharing her story. It changed how I looked at Tina. And, it, and I didn't pull back from her. I was drawn to her and Timmy when I heard all of their story. Um, Travis and, and Jamie, I remember when they came to our, our small group and, and, and they shared their story. It changed how I felt about them and how I looked at them because they opened up. It didn't repel me from them. It, it drew me to them. When we sit in our small group in here, I mean, I can just talk about Justin and Tabitha. I can talk about um, Josh and Jennifer. All of these people that tell their story, it radically changes how you look at them and it doesn't repel you from them. It draws you to them. And what you want to give them is grace. I heard about a young lady this week whose mom is in prison because of drugs and it didn't make me want to run away from it and and I'm not close enough to do this but it made me want to hug her it made me want to pour out grace on her because I thought that's not what a mama should be right so when people share their story it changes how you see them so we shouldn't be critics now some people quit going to church because at a at a time in their life when it was messy financial relational whatever it was instead of listening to their story church people criticized them and they thought if that's what church people are like that's what Christians are like. I don't want any part of it. And they walked away. Now, I want you to remember something. You remember when Jesus said, yank the plank? You remember when he said that? This isn't a direct quote. Um, this is my interpretation of it. But when he's talking about take the plank out of your eye before you remove the speck in someone else's eye. Um, what he's saying is, you know, before you get all high and mighty about the mess in someone else's life, you need to look at, in the mirror and the person looking back at you from the mirror has created all kinds of mess. So you need to be very, very careful criticizing someone else before the mess in their life. And then you were to, then you remember that sometimes you can't get out of messes by yourself. Sometimes you need help to get out of a mess. It's why we have Celebrate Recovery. It's why we have the landing on Tuesday nights for teenagers with hurts, habits, and hangups. It's why we do small groups. It's why we did a financial peace university. It's why we did love and respect for marriages. It's why we did experiencing God for people to learn how they can come together with others and get out of their messes. When someone reaches down to you when you're in a mess, it changes things. It, you know how, how good it feels to have a friend when everybody else runs away, when you're in a mess, and one person sticks with you. 
Now imagine where not just our church, but all churches would be if we got this right. See, we have a reputation, our church, all churches in the world, Christian churches, have a bad reputation that's pretty earned because we're the only army in the world that shoots its wounded soldiers. Jesus was attracted to hung out with messy people. We tend not to do that. So we dress up and pretend that we've got it all together. Now, Christians believe a couple of things. That's what I want to talk to you about today and, and as the, we begin this series. Christians believe that the mess that brings us together, mess is what brings us together, is also the mess that brought God near. All right? The mess is what caused Jesus to leave heaven and pursue us. And look how I, I put two, uh, a couple of extra words in John 3.16 because you've heard this over and over and I want this to stick with you. Here's John 3.16. For God so loved the messy people of the world. Now, I, I don't think I'm changing the meaning of this verse at all because messy people are the only kind that's in the world, right? For God so loved the messy people of the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Or you can think of it this way. Jesus loves the messy children, all the messy children of the world, red, brown, yellow, black, and white. We're all messes in his sight. Jesus loves the messy children of the world. I'll do anything to help you remember the points in the sermon. When Jesus, when God looked down and saw the mess that we had made, he said, I'm not going to send a flood this time. I'm going to send my son to address the mess. And when Jesus showed up, it was a total surprise because people were expecting a judge. People got it. They understood we've messed up. We need the, the God who's going to come is going to judge people, especially the Jewish folks. They thought God loves us. He's going to judge everybody else. He's not going to judge us. But if you read the scriptures, you'll see that, that God did judge them. People understood what I talked about last week, that, that um, if there is a God, then, then I'm guilty, I'm accountable, and I'm wrong. People understood that. And so when Jesus showed up, it shocked people because he introduced a word that nobody had ever heard of before. No other religion had ever come up with before. See, people miss God because um, they didn't understand what Jesus brought. He said, there's forgiveness and there is relationship. If the, if the God of Jesus is real, we can have forgiveness and relationship because of this one word that Jesus brings. It's a new word that he brought. It was grace. I want you to, I, I double dog dare you to come up with any other religion in the world that offers grace. C.S. Lewis was asked one time at a conference, what is the one thing Christian, Christianity has to offer that no other religion can offer without even thinking twice? He said, grace. Every other religion is a works-based religion. You have to earn something. Christianity says you cannot earn it. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. So if you're a hot mess, I think you need to pay attention to the words of Jesus and receive this word of grace. So Christians believe that the mess is what brings us together, mess is what brought God near. Christians also believe that the mess is a lens. Now this is big, okay. If you can get this, you are going to see God. Because to recognize one is to acknowledge the other. Christians believe the mess is a lens through which we discover God. God reveals himself in the midst of your mess. He didn't cause your mess. He allowed it to happen. And if you'll look for him, you will find him. I'm studying the Old Testament and I've been in Genesis for several weeks now. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to get in, in chronological order. I wanted to see how God worked with the Israelite people. And so I've, I've been studying Abraham. Then I studied Isaac. Then I studied Jacob. Right now I'm in Joseph. We studied Joseph's life when we did Joseph, Joe Jacobson, uh, several weeks ago in that series, but I'm right in the middle of Joseph's life. 
Every person in, in this section of the scripture, and I believe in all of scripture, has learned that God reveals himself through messes. They would get themselves in a terrible mess. Sometimes it wasn't their choices. Joseph, it wasn't his choice to be sold into slavery. God shows up in the messes. And we're really good at seeing messes everywhere, but what we're not good at is seeing God in the midst of our mess. And you want to know something really crazy? This just blows my mind. You know who God used to teach us that he shows up in the middle of messes? You'd think it would be Jesus, but it's actually a religious guy. And actually the most religious guy on the planet at the time, an ex-Pharisee named Paul. Paul, before that, he was called Saul. That was his Jewish name. He he changed it to to Paul so that he could go to the Gentiles, the Greek name. Paul made it his mission to run around and stamp out Christianity because the Romans thought that Christianity was just a a sect of Judaism. It's just this little branch of Judaism. And Paul said, we're not about to allow the followers. They didn't call them Christians at that time. That's later in the book of Acts. What they called them at that time was the way followers of the way, because Jesus said, I am the way. And so that's what they called them. And and Paul said, we are not going to allow the way to hijack Judaism. We cannot have that. So Paul is on his way to Damascus one day with letters from the high priest. He's going to erase followers of the way, arrest, not erase. Well, yeah, in some cases erase as well, because they would be killed. He was going to, to arrest followers of the way and God got his attention. This bright light shows up, this voice from heaven, he's blinded. And this voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And and Saul goes, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth that rocked this religious guy's world. And he becomes a fanatic for Christianity. And he goes all over the known world, all around the Mediterranean Sea, starting churches, which raised a bunch of eyebrows. Aren't you the one who, who arrested and erased Christians? Well, yeah, but now I'm a follower of Christ. What changed? I saw Jesus alive. Here's what he said. He was a brilliant man. He's a theologian. And sometimes what he says, even Peter said, sometimes what Paul says is hard to understand because he's such a brilliant theologian, the most highly educated person of his time. Here's what he says in Romans chapter three, 19a, a just means the first part of the verse. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. Okay, we're gonna stop right here and I gotta explain this. So all he's saying is, if there is a law, it is over you and you are under it. In the United States, we're under the Constitution. The Constitution's over us, we're under it. If you go to university, whether it's SFA like Rachel and Matt, or if you go to TVCC, whatever it is, you sign a student code of conduct. You are under that code of conduct. They have the right to kick you out if you don't follow those rules. There is something over you. There is something um, that you have to be under. If you sign with a bank for a loan, you are under the terms of that loan. So that's all he's saying. If there's a law, it only applies to those people who are under it. Now, Paul was talking about the law of God. So for the Jew, it would be the Old Testament law. If you're a Christ follower, it'd be the law of Jesus revealed in the New Testament. But it could also be your conscience. If you're not a Christ follower, if you, it could be just some law. There is some law out there, whether it's the speed limit or your conscience or the Old Testament or the New Testament, you are under that law. And Paul says that, that when we get caught breaking the law, very often we use this phrase, and I've talked about this a couple of weeks in a row, nobody's perfect. Have you ever used that? How many people have used that? How many people have heard that used as an excuse? Nobody's perfect. Okay, again, you don't realize it. And I want you to, I want you to say this. I'm going to teach you something that I want you to say, especially to people who are far from God. When they say nobody's perfect, you're actually acknowledging that there is a perfect that nobody is. Right? 
How do you know what perfect is? Nobody's average. (laughs) We're all average. Nobody's perfect. You're acknowledging that there is a perfect. There is someone who's perfect, and you're acknowledging that you're not it, and I'm not it. There is something, someone over you, above you, that you cannot meet their standards. You can't live up to it. Now, verse 19, the whole verse. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, and here's why the law was given, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world account held accountable to God. We all know there's a standard. We all know we fall short. And the point is not that you'll feel so bad about the mess that you've made that you'll finally do something about your mess. No, the point of the law is so that you'll shut up. You'll shut your mouth. When I look at your mess, instead of criticizing, I will be silenced because I'm a mess too. When you look at my mess, you'll shut your mouth because you realize you're a mess too and you've got no reason to criticize me because you've got messes in your life as well. And, and, it, and it reminds us too that not long ago I was in a mess, my life was a mess and I'm one decision away, whether mine or somebody else's, not long ago you were in a mess, you're one decision away from being in a mess again. So the purpose of the law, it was given two reasons here, to shut your mouth And to help you understand, there is someone that you're held accountable to. His name is God. Now, Jesus said, before you look at someone else, look in the mirror, and that should silence your mouth. Now, since we're all messes, look what he says in verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. You cannot be good enough. You cannot be religious enough to earn God's favor. If you break one little law, the scripture says, you are a lawbreaker, you're guilty of breaking all of it. Then look what he says. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, here's the third reason the law was given. Through the law, we become conscious of our mistakes. We talked about mistakes. No, there's that word again. We become conscious of our sin. So the law was given to shut us up because we're all messes, to help us realize there is one to whom we will be held accountable and then to make us aware, conscious, that we're sinners. We're not mistakers. And I think that a lot of people don't come to church because they don't like being reminded they're not good enough. Did the Atlanta Falcons get a parade for almost beating the, the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl? You're so good. You got second place. You went to overtime. You almost won. Did the Cowboys get a parade in downtown Dallas because they almost beat Green Bay? They almost won their third playoff game in the last 20 years. Oh, Dallas, you're so good. You almost beat Green Bay. No. You see, here's what people don't like. The law of God is a mirror and a reminder. It's a mirror to show me that my life is a mess and I am going to be held accountable because of my messes. It's a reminder that I'm going to answer to God. And then the Bible doesn't pull punches. It says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, quick question. Has there ever been somebody in your world that you didn't live up to their standards? Mom, dad, any of you, any of you disappointed your mom and dad? Any of you disappointed teacher? You didn't live up to their standards or maybe a librarian? Anybody, anybody? Oh man, I was always turning in books late. I, I got in trouble all the time. Um, maybe a boss. Anybody had a boss you could not live up to their standards? What about this one? Have you ever failed to live up to your own standards? Have you ever disappointed yourself? If I can't live up to your standards and I can't, 
if I can't live up to my own standards, if there is a God, does any rational mind think I can live up to his? I can't live up to your expectations. I can't live up to mine. Is it even possible then to live up to God's? Not according to the scripture. C.S. Lewis, I've been talking about him a lot. I just love his mind. I love reading things that, that he's written. He, was an, he lived during World War II. He was an atheist who, become a Christian, who became a Christian. And so I want to know, I love stories where atheists, I love any story. I'm, I ask people all the time, tell me how you came to know Christ. When, when I'm with couples that I don't know, I say, tell me how y'all met. How, how did y'all you know, get married? And I love to hear those stories. I really love reading atheist to Christian stories because it's so radical. I'm going to tell you what it was that C.S. Lewis said he could not escape. It's what drove him to become a Christian. And here it is. This is, this is so simple. But he said, it's like watching two people quarreling. All right. So he says, when you're watching two people quarreling, he said, they all appeal to this standard that they know they didn't create. They know it exists and, and they know they can't live up to that standard. Now I'm quoting here. So nobody write me mean emails or, or write on your card. So C.S. Lewis says, nobody says, to hell with your standard. In other words, nobody says, we're going to throw out truth. We're going to throw out faithfulness. We're going to throw out integrity. Here's what people do. When people are arguing, they don't argue the standard. They argue who is living out the standard better. Michael, I don't think you're being very truthful. Well, I'm being more truthful than you are. Look at this and this and this and this. I'm more truthful than you are. They argue that. Or, or if they're busted... They come up with an excuse for why they did what they did, why they failed. So either, either Michael and I are arguing or I go, oh, Michael, dude, well, this, this happened and this happened and all of this stuff happened. That's why I failed the standard. He said, why is it? Where did this come from that anywhere in the world, if you've got two people quarreling, that's what the word he used, they all appeal to a higher standard. How did we get this higher standard? And it's all over the world. Then look what he says. This is amazing to me. The law of gravity tells you what stones do if you drop them. Okay, so I've got my little bottle of water here, and, and we're going to do an experiment. We've done this before, but I'm just curious how many of you know what's going to happen if I drop this bottle of water. I didn't actually mean to drop it right then. It's gonna come, the lid's going to come off and it's going to spill. Now, what he's saying is the laws of nature are observable. They're predictable. Did anybody in here expect that bottle not to fall? When I dropped it? No, because the law of gravity says it's going to, unless something acts on it, it's going to fall. Now, here's what he says. This is what's interesting, and this is what he could not escape. But the law of human nature tells you what human beings ought to do and do not. Everyone knows they should be kind. I was talking to Michael Thatcher about this this morning. Brazos is just a couple of years old. Brazos knows. He said he'll get a marker and he'll run and he'll hide under his, his covers and he'll be doing stuff he shouldn't be doing with his marker. And he'll say, I sleep in. He knows what he's doing is wrong. So here's what he says. Human beings, this is C.S. Lewis. Human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and they cannot really get rid of it. People don't say, they, they don't teach their kids, don't be kind, don't be truthful. They teach them you should. And kids know that they should. We just don't do it very well. So we compare ourselves to folks or we come up with excuses when we don't do what we should do. Here's one more quote from C.S. Lewis. There is something above and beyond the ordinary facts of men's behavior and yet quite definitely, definitely real, a real law which none of us made but which we find pressing on us. 
See, according to C.S. Lewis, according to Paul, there is this pressure on us to do what's right. According to C.S. Lewis and Paul, the pressure is God. And God's not pressuring us to become a better person. He's pressuring us so that we become aware that he exists. Now, once we know, once we acknowledge our messes, we're a baby step away from acknowledging God. And it's why atheists have to change the rules. Because if they say we have messes, then they know they're going to go. So they say, we don't have messes. A mess is an illusion. Your value is an illusion. Truth is an illusion. Justice is an illusion. And I look at them and I go, really? Because these are smart people who've come up over here. They said there can't be a God. So we have to come up with another excuse, another reason why there's not God. Oh, I know what it is. It's all an illusion. There's no messes in the world. Christianity we believe there are messes. We believe mess is what brings us together. We believe that mess is what brought God near. So here's the moral of the story. We all have something in common. It's our mess. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white. We're all messes in his sight. But here's the thing. If that's true, if we're all messes, it means you have something in common with the person you despise the most. And according to Paul, the law was given to shut us up. Instead of criticizing their mess, going to God confessing our mess and praying for their mess. So here's your assignment for this week, just for one week. I want you to say this. Put it up there. I know a mess when I see one, because I am one. So practice saying that. Ready? Go. All right. So I heard swallow over here. I know. I'm at, that's just like you were. You've never had a kid do that in your class, have you, Charlotte? I know. Okay. So I want you to say it with a little bit of conviction, right? For one week, when you walk out these doors and you run into somebody who's a mess, instead of criticizing, I want you to say this. All right. Let's say it with conviction. It's a good thing we don't do responsive readings here. Um, if you've been in traditional church, you know what those are. Let's pray together. Father, uh, I just want us to be totally honest during this series that I'm a mess. These people that, that make up new life, we're messes. And, and we need to own that and recognize that, that the oughts, we ought to do right. We ought to tell the truth. We ought to not steal. We ought to be generous. We ought to be kind. Those are reminders that you are in control, that you want us to acknowledge who you are, and you want our mouths to be silent. Instead of criticizing hurting people, you want us to draw near to hurting people like your son did. Teach us that value, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.